What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Well, that was a strong day on Wall Street and winners stay late. Welcome to Closing Bell Overtime. I'm John Fort. Morgan Brennan is off today, and this is the moment Wall Street has been waiting for. NVIDIA's second quarter earnings report is just minutes away. One expert this week called it the single most important print of the entire year. And for good reason, NVIDIA has been the poster child of the AI-driven tech games, propelling the stock above a $1 trillion market cap this year. And it's seen some huge moves after earnings this year. After Q4 results in February, the stock jumped 14%. And after May's earnings report, it spiked nearly 25%. And you can see it's kept running since then. Today's options implied move is plus or minus around 10%. And boy, the guidance expectations are high. We've got full team coverage ready to break down the results as soon as they cross. And as we await NVIDIA earnings and numbers from Snowflake and Autodesk, let's bring in our market panel. Joining us now, Phil Camparelli of JP Morgan Asset Management and Matt McElwain of Madrona Venture Group. Guys, welcome. Phil, uh, yields backed off today uh, with the 10-year below, I, I think it was 4.2%, yeah. and stocks ran. So does that, I mean, it seems like it raises the bar for tech results tonight. What do you think? Yeah, John, huge exhale today because investors were absolutely paralyzed by the last 50 basis point move in rates. And it brought up all of those bad memories from 2022 when instead of stocks and bonds being negatively correlated and providing diversification, we were in this world where bonds were the problem for the last few weeks. Now today what we're seeing is, and what we believe is, this is a story still about disinflation. This is not a story about above trend growth. I think on Friday, I think Friday at 10 a.m. is a little bit more interesting than NVIDIA results personally, <laughs> because Jerome Powell is gonna choose you know, one of two roads. The one road is gonna be we're close to done, maybe not done, but we're close to done. We're gonna keep rates up here, but we're gonna be data dependent. Or the second road, which investors would not like, would be if him in the committee we're nervous about this latest run-up in growth, Atlanta Fed, and hinted at additional multiple hikes. We think that the probability of that is lower than the disinflationary story, and we think that's a re- still a very compelling backdrop for both stocks and bonds in the near term, John. Okay, uh, Matt, the whisper numbers that I've been seeing on NVIDIA's guide for the current quarter, around $14.5 billion, which I think is like 2x what they did last quarter before, you know, they, they guided to, to what we're expecting now. I mean, how much, how, how out of this world is that expectation? Does it flip on its head uh, the, the big outperformance that we got in the guidance versus expectations three months ago? Well, that is the risk. It's an expectation game. And I'm actually more interested in the NVIDIA earnings. We'll see what uh, the folks do in, uh, uh, on Friday. You know, the reason it's so important is because NVIDIA is the leading edge of the curve of what's happening in AI. 
And it's only the beginning because they're really still primarily focused on training models versus inference of models or running these models. And there's so many things that NVIDIA can do in that area. And we'll see how much demand that they've generated so far and what the more importantly, the guide's going to be for Q3. So I think it's really critical to look at the guide. And then you can look through to things like Snowflake, which is also about to come out with earnings. I think the Snowflake trick is the balance between optimization that's been going on for the last four quarters and the future of new workloads like these AI-driven workloads. Mm. Here's one stat. There are 100 exabytes. That means 100 million terabytes of unstructured data sitting on premise still today. Yeah. A lot of that data is gonna move to the cloud, it's gonna move to places like Snowflake that are trying to be relevant as not just a data warehouse, but a data modeling system for AI workloads. Well, so it's, it's, it's so math. much opportunity. We, we, we've got data moving right now on earnings, <laughs> Autodesk earnings are out, that stock popping after hours. Kate Rooney has the numbers, Kate. Hey John, so it looks like a beat here on earnings and revenue here for Autodesk. Let's start with that EPS number, $1.91 adjusted. That was better than expected. Street was looking for $1.73 there on EPS. Revenue coming in stronger than expected as well, 1.35 billion, that was up 9% year over year. Better than the street was looking for at 1.3.32 billion. Also looking like Q3 revenue, and EPS guidance is better than expected. And as well here, it looks like in the release, they're raising the lower end of their guidance ranges, which is why you likely see the stock popping more than 6% here after hours. Back to you, John. Uh, yeah, Kate, thank you. And I know they've made some accounting changes that have the street nervous over the past couple of quarters, and perhaps that's starting to get digested now. Phil, um, you know, given this pop that we're seeing after hours, after a strong day for the NASDAQ and tech stocks overall, um, you know, how much are you going to read into how that sets us up? Surely we got Jackson Hole at the end of the week, but for what to do portfolio adjustment wise for the rest of the summer. Yeah, uh, John, we're not underweight stocks here, okay? I think if, if the economy avoids recession, which we expect we, they, that it will, we only have a 20% chance of recession over the next six to nine months, combined with a Fed that can actually pause interest rate hikes, I think that's a really supportive environment for stocks. So we don't want to be underweight. But there is a really important opportunity, John, which we've spoken about before, that remains in the front end of the U.S. yield curve, where we can get about 8% in yield, in high-quality, high yield, which looks exactly like the long-term capital market assumption for stocks, but with less risk. So again, we don't want to be underweight stocks. I think that would be a mistake in a world where the U.S. economy avoids recession. But we are looking for better ways for risk-adjusted return, and the yield play is really important there. And as far as the tech story goes, John, this is all the same story. If we continue to march higher in rates or, mar or multiple hikes have to happen, I don't care what the name of your stock is in, in tech, you're going to face some pressure as multiples contract and yields march higher. So it's all the same macro backdrop. And I'm telling you, the 10 o'clock story on, on Friday, John, is where all the action is. Well, maybe not all the action. we got a lot of action <laughs> happening right now, including Snowflake's numbers starting across. We will bring you those as soon as we have gone through them. Matt, you were talking about Snowflake before, and speaking of a stock where there's been some chop post-earnings, the consumption model here and the kind of quick reaction that you're able to see in uh, what enterprise demand looks like and how companies are, are trying to save money 
that's sort of an, an interesting trend when you put it up against AI, where the, I have heard about concerns that people are stockpiling chips. It's, it's really hard in some cases to tell what the real demand on the ground is, and it's really easy in some others, right? Well, you're exactly right, because it goes chips, and then data, and then models, and then apps. And Snowflake is in the data, data management, and they traditionally have been a data warehouse and not an AI data modeling you know, business either. So on the one hand, they've got this headwind where consumption has slowed down. Some of their big enterprise customers are saying, we've got to optimize our spend with Snowflake. But all of these customers, and we just did a survey, over 400 recent earnings reports, on average, six times in every one of those, whether it's a tech company or a non-tech company, they're mentioning AI six times in their Q2 earnings. Everybody's talking about it. It's the very early days. Clearly, NVIDIA is out ahead, but Snowflake is going to have a tailwind of a whole bunch of that business. Whether it shows up in this quarter or not, because the optimization means in a consumption model that you don't actually use so that you therefore can't recognize the revenues as quickly as you might have otherwise thought the company was going to do so, that's a headwind. That's going to take some time to work itself out. But the AI tailwind will build quarter after quarter going forward here. I think Snowflake will be a beneficiary of that. And okay. look at that company with only being 15% up this year compared to the NASDAQ and a lot of the other tech stocks and metrics. Well, those numbers are out. The stock, at least initially, moving down at the moment. Let's get to Kate Rooney with the numbers. Kate? Beat here for Snowflake in Q2, starting with EPS. This is the adjusted number, 22 cents on EPS, about 12 cents better than expected. On revenue, also beat $674 million for the quarter. That was up 36% year over year, stronger than expected there. Product revenue for the quarter, $640 million or so. That was up 37% year over year. And then product revenue guidance, this is a key area. It looks like it's in line here, 670 to 675 million. Street was looking for 675 million, so slightly lower uh, in terms of the uh, the revenue guidance on products for Q3. Also, a quote here from Frank Slootman talks about enterprises and institutions being increasingly aware that they can't have an AI strategy without a data strategy. And so, uh, mentioning AI there, but again, stock down here, slight miss on that uh, product revenue, though. John, back to you. Yeah, the midpoint a, a bit below uh, consensus, but the consumption trends here are going to be important. Kate, thank you. Um, let's see. Uh, do we still have Phil and Matt, or are we moving on? We, we still got Phil and uh, Matt. You know, Matt, I, I want to go to you on the reaction here, because I know Phil's really excited about Friday and Jackson Hole, <laughs> more than the software results. Um, when it comes to what investors need to pay attention to, on the Snowflake call. I'll be speaking to Frank Slootman actually after that call for even more detail. But the, uh, the consumption trends, not just for the quarter, but longer term and the remaining performance obligations, how should investors parse that as they try to understand what's happening here with the data and the demand? I think, I think the, the change in RPO, so calculated RPO, will be very important to see if how, what people are signing up to spend later. Um, my read on what we just heard on those numbers is this is a stabilization quarter, and there's probably some conservative guidance into Q3 of how much more of this optimization is going to happen, and they'd rather not. They'd rather be able to have another beat uh, in Q3. And I think the other question to ask Frank is, you know, ask him for some specific AI use cases that are showing the way that Snowflake can be relevant in the very early days of data and data modeling of next generation generative AI apps and services. 
Yeah, it looks like uh, remaining performance obligations for Snowflake coming in at $3.5 billion, which is about in line with expectations, 30% year-over-year growth. Uh, Phil, I, I won't leave you out, though, because all of this is still setting us up yeah. for uh, Jackson Hole. <laughs> yeah, at the, at the end of the week, right? So uh, yeah, once John, we get to know with this tech stuff, we yeah. got to look more broadly. What right. would a surprise constitute for you um, or, or particular details that we need to listen for as investors? A, a surprise would be, John, listen, they expect one more hike. That's either going to be in September or November. That's what they told us in June. A surprise would be that if they increase that amount or explicitly point to the fact that they really need to get growth back to below trend to have any chance of controlling inflation. That's just not the case, John. Inflation has fallen. It's working, right? We have a very good labor market. Things are okay. So that would be a surprise. And just real quick on kind of the macro theme from AI. Listen, if, if it creates productivity over the next couple of years, which we expect it would, that's a really good U.S. story for some of these companies or G from a GDP perspective where trend growth could be a little bit higher than what was originally expected, John. So I don't want to you know, completely um, <laughs> ignore what's happening over the you next couple of years. said another way. But for more, it's more of a structural story than a, than a, than a tactical story. Okay. Said another way, and I, this is, I tie it to Friday as well. The deflationary impact of innovation and AI-driven innovation, all these co-pilots, is going to be a big upside, and you could have deflationary impact as well as growth. We've yeah. done surveying, we've seen surveying of some of the early price points that the Microsofts and Salesforces and others are putting out there for their AI enhancements, like 30 bucks per you know, user per month, and people are saying, we're getting a lot of value out of this. So there's both going to be deflationary effects and there's going to be revenue growth and upside for a lot of these companies that can deliver compelling Gen AI apps. Let's see if those deflationary impacts and the interest rate impacts, trying to slow things, if those are working fast enough when it comes to inflation. Uh, Phil, Matt, and thank John, you. John, the answer is the 60-40. You know it. Well, we talked about it before. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. Investors need to be aware, even though they've forgotten those numbers over the past decade, apparently. Good to see you guys. Speaking of data, Splunk earnings are out. That stock is spiking. Bertha Coombs has those numbers. Bertha. That's right, uh, John. The company beating on both the top and the bottom line, reporting adjusted earnings of 71 cents a share. The street was looking for 45 cents on revenues of 911 million versus an estimate of 886 million. Uh, Gary Steele, the CEO, says second quarter represents a strong quarter of growth, execution, operating leverage. We generated 16% annual recurring revenue growth growth as we reduce our non-GAAP operating expenses by 3% year over year. They actually saw a doubling, 111% increase or 111 uh, increase in the number of customers that have annual recurring revenue of a million dollars. They are boosting their third quarter guidance to $1.02 billion to $1.035 billion in revenue. The street had them at $981.3 billion. They are also boosting the numbers for full year. Their efficiency apparently paying off here, John. All right. Yeah, that stock spiking better than 7% after hours, which if it stays there would take it back to the levels at the beginning of August. Bertha, thanks. Let's bring in now senior markets commentator Michael Santoli to talk about NVIDIA, which we expect in just minutes. Mike? Yeah, John, just to pan out a little bit, a lot of talk about how NVIDIA has replaced Tesla as kind of the favorite uh, sort of secular growth mega cap plaything of some short-term speculators. Going back to the end of 2019, that basically takes you right before the COVID sort of digital acceleration, secular gross enthusiasm moment. Uh, you see that uh, NVIDIA has really caught up 
not quite exactly, but on this uh, b big a chart with those types of gains, it looks pretty close. Tesla's still slightly ahead. And you see the NASDAQ 100, uh, it's gone up 10x more than the NASDAQ 100, which itself has beaten the market. So really a class of two. Uh, and, and right now, they're, uh, you know, Tesla no longer above a trillion dollars, but we know that NVIDIA is around $1.1 trillion, 3% of the S&P 500, also with the charismatic CEO. A lot of the same attributes that Tesla had right around there. So we'll see if it can kind of last for a while. But on a valuation side, interestingly, Tesla screens out as more expensive on a 12-month forward P.E. basis. Why? Because NVIDIA earnings estimates have been racing higher over the last couple of quarters, especially in the last three months, whereas Tesla has had its earnings estimates cut pretty dramatically, actually, as they've been slicing uh, into their sale prices and also some volume considerations. So uh, it's still a, you know, 40-plus uh, P.E. on NVIDIA right now based on 12-month forward. On next year's earnings, it's basically like 35-ish or 30, whereas you're up or above 50 again for Tesla. And again, I throw the Nasdaq 100 in there at 24 times. So clearly a lot of eggs in these baskets for proving that they can have growth independent of what's happening in the rest of the market and the economy, John. A lot of expensive eggs, Mike. Thanks. And yeah, the final countdown is on. We are expecting NVIDIA earnings to come out in just minutes, team standing by to bring you the results and real-time analysis. We're going to pay some bills right now. Overtime's back in two. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. Together with Delta, we're putting 5G into the hands of ground staff so they can better assist on-the-go travelers with real-time information. From the Delta Sky Club to the Jet Bridge, this is elevating customer experience. This is Delta with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back. The investing world is waiting with bated breath for those second quarter numbers from NVIDIA due out any moment now. And joining us now, Stacey Rasgun, Bernstein Senior Analyst, who has an outperform rating on the stock, and James Demert, Main Street Research CIO and an NVIDIA shareholder. Stacey, the guidance is what I'm focused on here. I mean, we assume they're going to meet or beat uh, their number that they expected for uh, the, the, car, yeah. the, the quarter we just expect to see. But it, how, how strong is this going to be? The whisper number is like above $14.5 billion. Realistic? Yeah, maybe, right? I think right now, like, they're going to sell everything that they can make. So in the near term, supply, I think, is going to be the, the big driver, especially on the data center side. Yeah, I do think the whisper numbers are probably $14 billion plus and probably $10 billion for the guide for data center. Um, if the supply is there, um, they will be able to, to sell that. I think the demand is there, at least. Okay, James, uh, how much are investors going to care about the supply versus the demand? I think they are going to care, uh, but I think Stacy's right. I mean, you know, this is a good problem to have. Demand is not a problem for what we call the superhero of AI and, you know, sort of leading this technological sort of transformation that's probably got legs that's going to go on for years. So they, they've got demand uh, for sure. The question is, are they getting enough parts and pieces from Taiwan Semi and so on? So I'm very interested to hear Jensen talk on the call about you know, supply chain issues. 
Stacey, it seems to me that this is one where you really do need to pay attention to the call versus just the initial numbers or even the initial guidance, because I wonder how durable is uh, this demand? H how much stockpiling is going on? Do you think NVIDIA has a true sense of that? Um, they've, at least data centers got longer lead times and more visibility probably than gaming did. So they probably got visibility actually for a few quarters. But as we get into next year, clearly that is the question. Is this like a new baseline for growth or is it, you know, panic buying and pull forward, right? Um, and we'll see what they have to say in terms of uh, both the supply and demand as we get into next year to get some gauge of that. Uh, I'll mention I'm starting to see those numbers cross. We will bring them to you as soon as we've got them uh, solid uh, you know, for now. James, um, how important is it in this commentary to hear about the partnerships that NVIDIA continues to forge to uh, try to build an ecosystem and a moat around the AI strategy as AMD, even Intel, some others are trying to break in? Uh, hold on. Yeah. Got those numbers uh, now. Okay. Uh, Christina Parts and Evelis has them. Christina? Wow. We're talking about revenues of $13.5 billion, beating the $11 billion uh, estimated. Sorry, the reaction was quite enthusiastic. EPS of $2.70. The street was estimating $2.09. We're talking about Q3 guidance. This is where everyone wants to see what was materializing for all of this AI hype. $16 billion. The street was anticipating $12 billion. So $16 billion. Uh, from the report, it, we're just also seeing data center revenue coming in, too, at $10.3 billion. Estimate was $8 billion. 10.3. You can see the stock jumping 5%. John? Yeah, I mean, wow is appropriate. Um, this reminds <laughs> I, me of a quarter I know, but from I shouldn't Apple. show emotion, right? Because I'm reporting the I news. I mean, but. It's, it's a wow moment. Uh, you know, I, I remember a quarter from Apple about 10 years ago that was similar in that wow sense when people are first beginning to realize the full impact of the iPhone. James, um, the stock is up at least 5% uh, so far on these numbers. $16 billion on the guide. That's the number that I can't stop looking at here. Uh, what do you want to know about that? It's a superhero number. I mean, they have got the lead. Um, and yes, there'll be room for AMD and everybody else uh, later on, but they've got just such a lead. And uh, we're excited to listen to the call and sort of see where the revenue is coming from. And I think Stacy had mentioned a couple of those sectors, which, you know, again, that comes to our attention. But here again, you know, this is a company that you got to own, uh, you know, in, in this new tech bull market is what we look at it as. And this is the leader. I mean, Stacy, thirteen and a half billion, up eighty-eight percent from Q1, yeah. a little more than doubling from a year ago. So, I mean, if you were just expecting them to meet the guide, you got upside surprise. Not, not even getting to the guidance for next quarter, for the current quarter. Yeah. So, look, nobody was expecting them to just meet the guidance, and so they they blew that away. And, and look, people were hoping for at least ten billion on data center on the guide. They did ten more than ten billion in the quarter. With a $16 billion revenue guide, that's got to suggest data center next next quarter, 12 and a half to 13, just given the rough magnitudes of the other segments. Um, that's a very, very powerful guide. It looks like uh, the demand is there and it looks like the supply is starting to show up as well. So this looks really good. Christina Parts and Evelis still with us. Anything else? Yeah, from I was. This? I mean, once the shock wears off, and you're looking through the numbers. <laughs> I know. What else my do you reaction see? right away. This is in real time. But uh, the adjusted gross margins also stands out to me at 70%. When you compare that to Intel with its latest quarter, uh, their adjusted gross margin, which is a, a measure of profitability, was at 40%. So you have 70% versus 40%. And I'm. 71. Okay. And then I'm seeing also here from my producer, there's a 25 billion buyback also 
that is in store here. So I just got to go through that to, to get you more on it, more information regarding that. I mean, that margin point uh, says a lot. I mean, Intel's hoping, Stacey, to get back to the 60% margin range. They've got yeah. fabs that are underutilized. That's an issue for them as well as they're just behind in the technology, though we expect some announcements from them next month where they hope to make the case of catching up. But even if you're not just talking about Intel, even if you're talking about AMD, what position does this put the competition in? Intel, AMD, even Amazon and the hyperscalers who are trying to argue that their AI capabilities from a value perspective are, are going to allow them to stand up against NVIDIA. Well, I mean, clearly, you know, nobody's having a problem paying the prices that NVIDIA is charging for these parts. Now, you could argue that, like, that the competition isn't there yet, but, I mean, nobody's going to be putting this much infrastructure in place if there was no value to do it, right? And so clearly there's value here. Um, I don't know what it means for the others. I mean, they're, they're, they're quite a bit farther behind. Now, you could argue that maybe the opportunity itself is large enough that even if they just get the dregs, it's big enough for, for the others. Maybe, maybe that's true. But even if the opportunity is that big, this is the one I'd, I'd, I'd want to own, I think, of all of them. Christina, you got more? Yeah, so two points. So that the board of directors approved an additional $25 billion in share repurchases without expiration, uh, and they plan to continue with these buybacks later this year. The other point, too, I wanted to make was gaming, contributing uh, you know, about 24%, 25% of total revenue. Gaming came in at $2.49 billion. The street was anticipating 2.38. So that category, we can't discount it. I know it's all about AI, but it's still coming out strong despite some weakness that we saw from other players. Yeah, it's kind of like the Mac line in, in Apple's report. I mean, the, the iPhone is driving it, but you can remember that older core business as well. James, um, to what degree do those other businesses matter uh, in this report, or is investor attention going to be really focused on data center, on AI, perhaps on hyperscaler buying patterns? I think those are the businesses that matter to investors. I mean, that, that's really where the lead is. I mean, the others are important, but um, those are the businesses that are going to matter the most. And I, and I think these numbers, these superhero numbers, are, are going to alleviate a lot of investors from the biggest problem they've had of buying the stock, which is valuation. Right? Everybody says, oh, gosh, it's too expensive. Well, these numbers clearly show us you know, that kind of growth rate, that kind of demand, PE versus growth, it still makes sense to own the company here. And it is the leader, and it will be a while before anybody can take market share of any significance. So it is a stock to own. Interesting point. Stacy. we just had someone on yesterday talking about it being uh, unrealistic or, you know, NVIDIA being uninvestable at the valuation levels where it is now. But I know that you've said that in a way, as the stock keeps going higher over the years, NVIDIA keeps getting cheaper because you got to keep changing that denominator when you're, cal yeah. when, you, when you're calculating this out. So what kind of an argument do you think Jensen's going to make about this being, yes, a chip company, but also more than that? What kind of platform and partnership moves are becoming part of this story that perhaps investors would need to believe in to stay bullish? I, I mean, so look, to stay bullish, you need to believe that the numbers are going up. And I, I told this story last time, but, you know, we launched on it in 2017 and it was 50 times earnings. And it wasn't. It was actually incredibly cheap because the E in the price to four earnings was wrong. Right. And it still looks like it's wrong. Um, the stock is not nearly it's, it's not expensive, frankly, if you sort of extrapolate where, where these numbers are going to go. Jensen's going to have to give people some confidence that this is early and that this is the, the the new sort of trajectory that we can be on. And But we are early, right? And I, I can't imagine that anybody's going to walk off of this call thinking to themselves, boy, this AI opportunity is smaller than I thought it was going, going into it. We're, we're not going to have that impression from Jensen like once he's done tonight. 
Um, Stacey, you know, oh, I just want to mention one thing. I mean, yeah. you know, think, think about the customer base that NVIDIA has. I mean, these are companies with tons of cash on their balance sheet, and it's a race to, to win the AI war, whether it's Google, Meta, whatever you want to look at, there's a tremendous amount of cash uh, going towards the superhero, the only game in town. So this thing's got legs. Okay, and I want to note, Christina, that this was a strong day for the NASDAQ already. Uh, I think NVIDIA was up two-ish percent already. Uh, I'm looking at other AI names. Supermicro was up uh, 7.5% during the regular session. It's now up 4.5% after hours, seemingly in sympathy with these NVIDIA numbers. AMD is up just a couple percent or so. It's up less. But it, it seems like there's a broader story even than NVIDIA here for this AI trade, perhaps. What, what stocks are you watching as you watch that AI trade? Well, if we can bring up Taiwan Semi, because they're the largest chip contractor and they make most of these GPU chips, their stock right now is trading at at least 3% higher uh, after this earnings report. So that's definitely one to watch, especially because they hold the power when it comes to supply. There's been concerns about, uh, you know, a supply constraints. That's probably a conversation that maybe Stacy will bring up on the phone call with analysts and maybe other analysts, because that is something that could hamper growth going forward. We were going to want to see visibility into... Uh, orders in the future. So we're going to want to hear about that. And then uh, to your point, AMD, Q4, we're expecting their own AI chip. Will that happen? There's a market for it. There's clearly a lot of demand. So uh, that's why you're seeing that stock up on your screen, just uh, two and a half percent post earnings. People would like to pay less for AI chips. Oh, yeah. so but, it's, uh, it's supposed to be much cheaper, too, right? Is it 20 percent or 40 percent cheaper than uh, NVIDIA's chip? It, well, with, with those 71 percent margins, it's hard to get more expensive. Uh, Stacy, James and Christina Parts and Evelis, Thank you. Uh, of course, we can't stop talking about NVIDIA and AI. Joining us now for more on this conversation is Benjamin Harvey. He's the CEO and founder of AI Squared. That's a platform that allows businesses to integrate machine learning into their web-based applications. Benjamin, strong numbers from NVIDIA and strong margins, and you're sort of experiencing that as you serve your customers, right? Yes, 100%. Um, you know, one of the big things that we're seeing in the market is, you know, really, you know, 71% of these companies are, are saying that, you know, we want to experiment with a generative AI in the next two years. And um, what that does for a company like mine, which is a startup, gives us the opportunity to start um, to integrate these generative AI use cases inside of solutions within these organizations. Um, you know, one of the real big things that we're also seeing is, you know, um, a lot of the organizations are, are interested in not just using, um, you know, generative AI and large language models in the traditional, you know, chat application, right? They're they're trying to break out of the chat application and and integrate it just as prevalently as we've seen predictive AI over the years, where the AI is being used in currently existing applications across the entire organization. So, so right now the market is booming and, and, and we're really benefiting from it as, an, as a startup. So Ben, I'm trying to get a sense of the durability of this demand. And not only did NVIDIA beat on the, the revenues for Q2, but the guide, uh, 16 billion, when the whisper number was maybe in the mid 14 billion range, uh, pretty extraordinary. How singular is the strength of NVIDIA right now when we're talking about uh, AI instances that you need to get this work done, how much are you know, platforms and customers scrambling for an alternative that, that doesn't seem to be there? 
Yeah, great, great question. I mean, right now, uh, what we're seeing is that many of these organizations are are looking at two things. You know, one is uh, the speed to market, right? You know, the buzz around these organizations, a lot of um, C-level executives that are sitting on boards, their boards are saying, hey, we need to understand how we can get more value out of artificial intelligence, particularly generative uh, AI. But they're also saying, hey, you know, as we increase speed to market, let's let's think about ways in which we can cut costs, right, that are associated with these generative AI technologies. Now, speed to market is really number one, but they're also looking at ways and how they could, you know, cut the costs in the future. And, you know, what we're really seeing is that, you know, as, and, and even in our organization, as we strive to, you know, um, deploy these generative AI technologies, the first thing we do is we look at the balance between, you know, traditional CPU uh, resources mm. and then GPU resources, right? right? So the traditional CPU resources that are in like an AWS or an Azure environment, they can get you to a solution, but it takes so much longer. So when you think about speed to market, you can't get there as fast with the traditional CPU resources. So you do go to NVIDIA and look at the A10s and A100s, the V100s, all the way to the H100 DGXs. And that's really what we use as an organization to power our large language models to, to deliver value. And you see uh, the impact of that need for speed to market in these results, NVIDIA stock, up 7% after hours on very high expectations. For that perspective, we thank you, Benjamin Harvey. Um, and time now for CNBC News Update with our Pippa Stevens. Pippa. Hey, John, here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Authorities said Wagner mercenary chief Evgeny Prigozhin was on the passenger list, but it still isn't clear whether he was on board a private jet that crashed in Russia today. This video appears to show the plane plummeting to earth, then exploding. Russian emergency officials said the jet was flying from Moscow to St. Petersburg and all 10 people on board were killed. A Biden administration immigration policy is heading to court tomorrow as Republican-controlled states challenge its legality. The humanitarian parole program allows as many as 30,000 people from Latin America and the Caribbean to temporarily live and work in the U.S. 21 states oppose the policy, saying it effectively creates a new visa program without legislation from Congress. And a jet ski rider washed up on South Korea's coast over the weekend. The Coast Guard there says it appears he traveled more than 200 miles on the water, pulling fuel barrels behind him in order to escape from China. A pro-democracy activist identified the man as a Chinese dissident. John, back to you. Ipa, thank you. After the break, Mike Santoli is going to join us with his first reaction to NVIDIA's blowout report going to put the stock's huge move this year into context against its peers. And later, we are looking ahead to the other event that Wall Street has been waiting for, the Fed's gathering at Jackson Hole. We will preview what to expect with former Council of Economic Advisors Chair Jason Furman. Over time, we'll be right back. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. Together with Delta, we're putting 5G into the hands of ground staff, so they can better assist on-the-go travelers with real-time information. From the Delta Sky Club to the Jet Bridge, this is elevating customer experience. This is Delta with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 
Welcome back to Overtime. Michael Santoli, looking at NVIDIA, it's up better than 7% after hours. You should be all-time highs, trading above yep. 500 bucks a share. And this is a stock that started 23, under 150, right? Exactly. Um, so, you know, for as much as you'd want to say, look, it's really uh, kind of gotten ahead of itself, perhaps, and it has over over time here. This is on a uh, on a, you know, since the end of 2019 as well. I, I pointed out against the semiconductor uh, ETF, the equal weighted one and the broader S&P tech sector, mainly to say that it's so disengaged from those price patterns. In other words, such a massive outperformer that it's unclear if it's a specific read through to the rest or it's just kind of a, a sentiment. It's a source of good feeling that might surround the rest of tech. But it shows you there that massive advantage that had been built up. And also, of course, it had happened once before back in uh, in 2022. So take a look here, though, at how uh, fund managers, specifically active fund managers of long-only equity funds uh, are positioned, according to Bank of America, in NVIDIA. So this is basically, uh, whether they're overweight or underweight, uh, their benchmark in NVIDIA or the S&P 500. Right now, it's basically neutral. So you can see at times, this goes back to 09, they had a big overweight uh, as a group in the stock. Now, right about neutral. We, they were underweight, you could see, a few years ago. So it's, what this means in S&P terms is that, on average, they own about a 3% plus position in, uh, in NVIDIA. If they are a uh, S&P 500 growth benchmarked investor, maybe they own closer to 6%. Uh, so it seems as if it's not under-owned, but it's also not one of those stocks that feels like everybody is crowded into it all at once. Mike, I mentioned it earlier, and actually yesterday, um, yesterday, I mentioned that uh, people were doing this calculation on Apple 15, 20 years ago on, yeah. well, it's overvalued because how many iPods would they have to sell to justify this? And then uh, it seems like it was around 10, 11 years ago, Apple had this quarter that just made people push away from the desk and go, whoa, wait a minute. And here, once again, we have a guidance beat that, that's more than $3 billion. When's the yeah. last time you saw something like this? Twice well, in a row. Three months ago from NVIDIA. Yeah, I mean, twice <laughs> in a row. the last though. time I saw. No, I, I, don't, I don't know that there's one at this scale that we've seen. Now, you've, now, fundamental momentum is a real thing. You get a company that is basically has the must-have product, uh, and there's a feeding frenzy. So we've seen it. What we haven't seen it is in a stock that's already a trillion-dollar market cap. And so that, to me, it really magnifies both the scale of the business, of the opportunity, uh, and I guess on the attention uh, that's now placed on uh, on the stock. So uh, to your Apple point, I agree with you. There were times over the last 15 years when it seems like, you know, Apple had kind of a dormant period. It went sideways. They were fully penetrated in the short term. Uh, who knows where that moment is for NVIDIA? Uh, I really think the big question is going to be down the road when, when the customers feel as if they've done this initial build-out and they've got what they need for the moment, then is there going to have to be a we catch our breath and we have to see exactly what the payback is on that. You know, who knows where that moment is. Yeah, that sideways moment for NVIDIA? Yeah. Not tonight. It's up 8.7% at the moment in overtime. Max Santoli, thank you. Yeah. Now, it might feel like NVIDIA is the only stock reporting after hours today, but it's not. The action in brick and mortar space this week has been wilder than a Black Friday sale. We're gonna talk about those major moves in retail when Overtime returns. (laughs) 
Check out shares of guests. They're getting a big spike in overtime, up 13 plus percent after reporting results. Adjusted earnings coming in at 72 cents per share on $665 million of revenue. It's just the latest big move in retail. Abercrombie spiked today after its report, while Foot Locker plunged. And tomorrow we will hear from Gap. Nordstrom and Dollar Tree. Joining us now is CNBC.com's Melissa Repko. Melissa, it seems like the farther you get from the feet in what you're selling, the better you're doing right now. Yes, John, we're really seeing that split today. And the reality is that for retailers, it is a more challenging environment. And when it comes to discretionary, consumers are being much more selective. That being said, Abercrombie really showed clearly today that if you sell the right stuff, shoppers are still buying. Okay, Uh, so what is the difference between, uh, let's say, uh, the the retailers who are doing particularly well on the high end and then those that are having more trouble? I mean, Target was having trouble, TJ Maxx uh, still doing pretty well, but then at the same time, you've got some of these names like Abercrombie also doing well. Is that just style? Is it focusing on a particular demographic, you think? There seems to be really two commonalities here. One is in the case of Abercrombie that they are tapped into trends and what their customer wants, and that's really resonating. On the other hand, we saw with Target, it found itself in the crosshairs of the culture wars and fell out of favor with some consumers and is seeing some softness among consumers who are choosing to spend on travel or other types of things. The other thing that's helping certain retailers like Walmart and TJX win is that they're leaning into value. And that's something that's really resonating across the board right now. And as middle and higher income consumers in some cases trade down, those players can win. And we may see that dynamic play out tomorrow with Dollar Tree, depending on how it does and if it is able to capture some of those more price sensitive shoppers. 14.5% after hours in overtime for guests. Melissa Repko, thank you. Thank you. And now we've got breaking news on CVS entering the biosimilar market with a new venture. Bertha Coombs, you're going to tell us the story and tell us what biosimilars are. That's right, John. CVS is partnering with drug maker Sandoz to make a biosimilar version of Humira, or Humira rather, at 80% below list price. It's part of a new initiative to source and in some cases co-produce these biosimilar drugs. Think of them as the generic versions of these difficult-to-make biologic drugs. The new subsidiary called Cordavis will operate like CVS's seven-year-old purchasing unit, Red Oak, which focuses on sourcing generic drugs. But Cordavis will focus on not just sourcing the biologics, but in some cases co-producing them because they're much more complex to produce than generic pills. The first deal is for a biosimilar version of AbbVie's blockbuster arthritis drug, Humira, which this year is facing competition in the U.S. for the first time. Cordavis is partnering with Novartis' Sandoz on its version called Hiramos, with an investment of an undisclosed amount in order to ensure supply and provide a competitive price. We've invested in committing to certain volumes for the U.S. marketplace so that we have a durable supply of product. We want to ensure that uh, once we bring this into the U.S. marketplace, we don't have any supply issues. We have a high-quality biosimilar product available, and it'll be launched at a much lower list price than the originator molecule that exists you know, at a greater than an 80% lower uh, price. 
Now, Amgen, which makes the first approved uh, Humira, Humira Biosimilar, says, you know, it's still trying to get a sense of demand as insurers have taken a few months to really put those biosimilars onto their coverage lists. Humira maker AbbVie, meantime, says the drop-off in its sales has not been as sharp as expected so far. Maybe because of this, they say it's going to be a different story in 2024. CVS sees Cordavis as a way to get a strong foothold in this biosimilar market, which is expected to reach $100 billion over the next five years. This deal was in the works, John, before last week's news from Blue Shield of California that it is dropping CVS pharmacy benefits for Amazon and Mark Cuban's Cost Plus and others. But it just underscores the fierce competition in this space these days. Yeah, makes you wonder what happens with margins across the board. We'll look forward to hearing more from you over the weeks and months on that, Bertha. Thank you. Up next, a look at the names making big moves after hours, not just NVIDIA. Plus, we'll look ahead to the Fed's big event in Jackson Hole and why one expert says the Fed should start changing its tune eventually. We'll be right back. Welcome back to an action-packed overtime. Here's a quick look at the biggest earnings movers this hour. NVIDIA posting a blowout quarter, beating on the top and bottom lines, and a huge beat on guidance. The number on paper was $12.6 billion expected. Whisper number 14.5. They turned in 16. Also uh, issuing a billion-dollar buyback. Uh, Splunk moving higher after a huge beat on EPS. Revenue also topping estimates. Autodesk beating on both lines, giving strong guidance. And Snowflake also beating on both lines. It was actually down after its own report, but popped after NVIDIA's, showing how the data story and the AI story linked together. That's now up uh, better than 3%. I will be sitting down with Snowflake CEO Frank Slootman for an exclusive interview to talk about the quarter. We'll bring you those highlights tomorrow here on Overtime and throughout the day. All right. What matters more now to the market, NVIDIA or Jay Powell? We'll soon have an answer, perhaps, to that question when Fed officials kick off their gathering in Jackson Hole. We will preview what to expect next. Well, with NVIDIA earnings out, investor attention eventually is going to turn to Jackson Hole over the next few hours, especially with the sharp move in bond yields that we've seen lately. Joining us now with a preview of what to expect is former Council of Economic Advisors Chair Jason Furman. Jason, welcome. So you would argue that the Fed doesn't have to get all the way down to 2%, but does need to get below 3 and stay there for six months before it can change the language. So you wouldn't expect to hear any any dovishness on that front this week? Yeah, so first of all, there's a difference between what I think the Fed should do and what I think the Fed will do. <laughs> they will be completely focused on inflation. That's the side of the mandate that's out of whack. What they can't do is tell us anything about their policy in that they don't know what they're going to do with interest rates because at this point they really are very data dependent. So I expect them to stress that as well. So if you expect that perhaps the Fed won't have to get all the way to 2%, how would you position yourself differently as an investor right now versus if you think, you know, they really do? Right. Right now, if you look at break-evens, bonds are priced as if inflation is going to get back to 2%. I think that's an overly optimistic reading of the data, where part of the low inflation we've had lately, I think, has been good luck and isn't necessarily sustainable. And I think that is reading into the Fed 
more resolve than they might possibly have. So in some sense, you know, people are looking at these high bond yields right now and you add in some extra expected inflation, um, you could see yields going even higher um, at some point. So do you think the Fed has to sound like there's more than one hike ahead? I think the Fed should be preparing everyone for uh, more hikes. And look, it's always easier to surprise people by saying, hey, great news. Um, the economy did better than we thought. Um, we don't need to raise rates like we thought we did. So I think they have been appropriately since the last Jackson Hole in the mode of hoping for the best, but preparing for the worst. And part of the reason the economy is coming in better than people were expecting is that people got their hopes down. And I think that was the you know, that, that that was the right way to do economic policies is just not idea. to do useful thinking. Now, the hopes are down in China for a different reason. How much is that going to affect the U.S. economy and the rest of the world? Uh, you know, it's I, I, we'd be better off with a stronger Chinese economy. I don't think we benefit when the world's second largest economy is going into the types of difficulties it's going into. Um, and it's totally unnecessary what China is going through. There's very simple policy remedies for an economy that has low inflation and slow economic growth, but they don't want to do it. Um, instead, they're engaged in denial. They're hiding the data. They're not taking the obvious steps. Um, and that's going to spill over, not in a huge way, but it's a, a mild negative for the U.S. economy. And the U.K. and Europe, how are you feeling about them? Quickly, if you can. They're in a more difficult situation than us. Uh, they have more inflation than we do, and they have slower economic growth um, than we do. So they have both sides of the soft landing are threatened for them in a way that hasn't happened here, at least so far. All right. Jason Furman, uh, former Council of Economic Advisors chair. Thanks for joining us on Overtime. And uh, what an overtime it has been. The big story is NVIDIA. Expectations were high, and boy, did they deliver. Right now, the stock is up better than 8.5% in overtime as we await that call. And there are other stocks rising in sympathy. Supermicro, which is a hardware maker uh, that uses NVIDIA, up better than 7%. We'll see what else follows. That's going to do it for overtime. Fast Money starts now. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.